more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 17, High Flight. I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughtered silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things you have not dreamed of. Wheeled and soared and swung, high in the sunlit silence hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up the long, delirious, burning blue. I've topped the windswept heights with easy grace, where never lark or even eagle flew. And while with silent lifting mind I've trod the high, untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touched the face of God. High Flight, John Gillespie McGee, Jr., I had known once the romance of slipping this early bonds of earth. In my first flight in a T-34 single-engine turboprop, I surfed the wave crests of undulating clouds beneath me. I spent my final solo aerobatics flight zipping around towering cumulus clouds, rolling, diving, flipping, and snapping the aircraft to its limits. I knew what it felt like to fly in formation, quote, coming up initial. A twinkling piece of my memory clings to those flights with white knuckles. They're easy to forget while encapsulated in a cramped, windowless, pressurized metal tube at 30,000 feet for 13 hours. But for an instant, just a few brief, unerasable moments, I touched the face of God. For those who have never seen it or felt it, the romance exists in cliché words on a piece of paper that can only guess how to appreciate, like a blind person standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. But for those who have experienced it, and then lost it, that memory smolders in the heart forever, feverishly yearning to reignite, like a horse 
between fences. Missy and I stood at the side paddock fence, watching a dopey bay horse munch on his round bale. I leaned over the top rail, staring over Honor, lost in an idea. Missy stood beside me and carried on about reset mares and babies or whatever, but I was lost in a thought a billion stars away, struggling against honesty and morality. Where are you? She stopped mid-sentence. She grinned and waved an open hand at my face. I popped my head to the right, breaking my hypnosis, and gave her a soft smile. Right here. Something over that horizon? You seem pretty intent on it. You could say that. My smile diminished. Is it your deployment stuff? We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. The upcoming deployment, postponed from the spring, weighed on both of us as it approached, a month away. No, it's... it's not deployment. It's more than that. Something wrong? She put a concerned hand on my arm. God, how things had changed. Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. I scrunched my brow down over my nose. What is it? It's him. What about him? I'm going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. It's, it's going to sound outlandish. It's going to sound stupid. But I want you to do it for me. For honor. She raised an eyebrow and her hand shrank away. Which is... I stared into the blue of her irises. I want you to get him a trainer. You can't be serious. Her face drooped behind her glasses. He's healthy. He's rideable. Hell, he just won his first show for crying out loud. Is that not enough? She faked a smile, pleading for rationality. It's not about whether it's enough or not. It would take too long to explain, just please. We need to find him a trainer. He doesn't have much time. Tim, do you realize how crazy that sounds? No, it's not just crazy. It's reckless. I don't think you understand what you're asking. I love you and I love Honor. But I think we need to back the train up a little bit here. He's an incredible horse and his story is absolutely unbelievable. I'm totally with you on that. But he's a horse who hasn't had any race training. He will have missed an entire year back because he... fucking died. <laughs> and now he's missing half his fucking chest. He's sound. That is insane to think, but it's true. Hell, Tim, I'll buy off that he's even miraculous. But we need to be real and understand where his fortune ends. And that's not a bad thing. Literally, every single vet, including Jen, said running could kill him. I was right there to experience it all with you. I saw it, I know it, and I felt it too. It's dangerous for any horse to race. For honor, it's even more than dangerous. Tim, it's insane. Why? Why? Do you hear yourself, Tim? I work the track. I'm piecing together broken horses every day. A lot of people think running horses at two and three is cruel because the horses are too young. And to be honest, I tend to agree. 
these horses can only hope they won't be so broken when they come off the track that they'll end up at a slaughter auction. She trailed off, unsheathed her argument dagger, and drove it into my ribcage. Like the one you found him at. Is that what you want, Tim? After all of this? Her tone soured to something hurt and bleeding. No, it's not like that at all. I kept my composure. Despite the urgent desire to explain everything, this wasn't the time. Please, hear me out. I love you and I love honor just the same as you. And maybe even in ways that you can't understand. And that's what brings me to this. I pulled her close to me, not quite a hug, cradling her. I can't explain anything about honor. I can't make heads or tails of any of this. You're right, maybe I don't understand what I'm asking. I also didn't understand what I was doing when I bought him. I, I still don't know a damn thing about horses. I paused, realizing as I spoke. But I do understand this is something I have to ask of you. It could kill him. And not just a little chance. A big chance. Why would you risk that? Tim, we can talk about how he is dancing around an arena, but let's face it, he's one stride ahead of crippled. One slip up, and it's over. It's crazy. I'll explain another time, but for now, I need you to shop around and find him a trainer. You realize that everyone at the track knows about Honor, right? I talk about him all the time. They all know he's damaged goods. They all know about his injury. A trainer willing to give up stall space in their barn to train an oversized eating machine barely capable of jogging is not a trainer that inspires confidence. Frankly, the kind of trainer that would do it is not a trainer I'd want to send honor to. It's a terrible investment on their behalf, and only the trainers with no credibility are the ones who would risk it. Missy spoke reality to the romance. No counter-argument existed. You're right. And if we can't get a trainer to buy off on the idea, a trainer that you know and respect, then we won't. But I want you to really try. I looked at her with stern eyes. Something tells me you already understand, you just don't want to accept it. I should know. I've been there. I promised him a chance, and he'll get it. A chance to what? To run? To race? No. More than that. Over the ensuing weeks, Missy peddled at the doorstep of every trainer in the region. She had provided veterinarian services at least one time or another for most of them. Others knew Missy just from her reputation as both a consummate professional and devout lover of the horses she cared for. Across the board, everyone knew Honor's story, and Missy regretted ever telling them. Gentle excuses came one after the next. Most politely wished they could take Honor on, they just didn't have enough room in their stable. Others were downsizing their workload and weren't taking on any new horses. Some, as professionally and as kindly as possible, stated the truth. Honor was a poor investment of time and resources. Just accepting him could damage their credibility. Missy even tested the waters with quarter horse trainers, hoping for anything, something to stick. 
nothing stuck. Honor was a product of the Jones auction, where horses end their careers, not start them. He was started by a dressage rider. His owner was in the business of war and knew nothing of horses. Our, quote, farm was a one-horse operation. He had no two-year-old training races. He had half a chest, one weak leg, and everyone knew he was lucky to be alive. Faith doesn't drive a profit. And the cold truth in horse racing, despite the excitement and passion for the animals, is that trainers still have to make a living. The plucky colt was pseudo-famous on the horseman side of Remington without ever having set foot inside the fences. His story made for great conversation, and because of that, even greater risk. His story inspired people to want to believe, but we call them miracles because they defy reality. We needed someone to believe. We needed a trainer who believed in honor. <laughs> we needed a trainer who believed in miracles. David and Jody Brown ran a small operation southeast of OKC on a modest though beautiful horse farm. They were quarter horse trainers and David a quarter horse jockey. David trained and rode Missy's employer Jen's personal horses to multiple stakes winnings. He knew how to win and he knew how to train. Missy adored the honesty and forward dealings of the couple. They're just good people, maybe the best at Remington. They loved their animals and loved their family more than they loved their business. That priority system resonated with both of us. Furthermore, the Browns believed. Missy had worked with them over the previous couple years while working with Jen and had developed a professional rapport with the two, but even approaching them about honor seemed pretty far-fetched. Would they even take a thoroughbred? Would they see what we see? Would they believe? I haven't been to church in years, but I know these two things for certain. If there is a God, I'm not him, and most likely most of what we think we know about him is all wrong. I don't know what Missy said to them. I don't know what David and Jody said to each other when deciding. I don't know their frame of mind or whether they even prayed on it. What I do know is they were the only ones willing. And looking back, they were the only right ones. The cosmos is a strange, whirling mass of weirdness. But sometimes it arranges. You're not going to believe this. She spoke with raised eyebrows. David and Jody said they'd take honor. That's the couple you really like, right? I trembled. Yeah, I trust them with honor. <laughs> then so do I. Missy had just walked in the door from work to tell me, and I assaulted her with squeezing arms and a rain of kisses up and down her cheek and neck. Mm. He's gonna be a champion. She pushed me back, making a calming gesture with her hands. Babe, seriously, think about this. We're a one-horse gig. We don't have a stable full of racers we can hope to break even with. We're paying out of pocket for race training for one unproven, crippled horse whose talents include eating, sleeping, and drinking from the hose. And not dying. The money it will take to train him equates to buying a car. I know. And while I'm deployed, we'll take advantage of that extra cash and put it towards training him. It's doable. I was right in that regard. 
I crunched the numbers prior to our conversation, knowing I need to justify it to myself later down the road. But we could be putting that money to other things, like savings or a new car for you since the Tib is on its last leg. Well, maybe the Tib can donate that leg to Honor. I threw her a cheeky grin. I'm serious, Tim. We're looking at over $1,000 a month, not including his upkeep, like shoes and teeth, supplements, vet visits, etc. I'm, I'm serious, too. I made my smile go away for the sake of argument. This is an investment, just not in the traditional sense. There's value here that can't be defined yet. Real value. If you're willing to believe with me, I'm willing to pay every penny required to make it happen. It's not about the money. It never has been. It wasn't about the money when I went to the auction with no intent of buying anything. It wasn't about the money when I dropped a hundred bucks on an abandoned colt. It wasn't about the money when we sacrificed our honeymoon to save him. It isn't about the money now. It's about the value of life. And ask yourself, how much is that worth? Enough to not risk him racing. I gave him a chance. And then I promised him on it. We paid everything we had to see that promise through. What he's done and been? There's more here. More that is not ours to choose. You mean a chance to kill himself? If he chooses it! God, Tim, do you have any fucking clue what you're saying? It's so frivolous. This is so stupid. He's a great horse and could live a normal, long, happy life and content, and you are ready to fork up thousands of hard-earned dollars and risk erasing all of that so he can have a chance to kill himself. Why are you so intent on racing death? Because I have the better horse. Have you not heard a single word I've said? Yes. I heard every syllable. I heard it, and I harbor every fear you do. Believe me, I understand the risk well. Missy heard the tenderness in my words and knew from whence they came. Her anger floated away from her face, and she began to listen. Her eyes squinted and then widened. I continued on. He chose to live. My eyes wandered to the floor. I will not tell him no. If I deny him, I yank that promise back. At this point, I feel like I owe him. Owe him what? I don't understand. His chance. What chance, Tim? To put out his hand and touch the face of God. The days before a deployment roll by with speed inversely proportional to the days spent downrange. Time spits on a serviceman. 
It races leading up to the departure, slows while he's being shot at, and ages him disproportionately. Time is cruel to a man in uniform, but even crueler to the woman left behind. We make good use of the time we had, spending time in Branson, Missouri, enjoying nothing more than the company of one another amid the hills lit with the amber hues of autumn foliage. When time is all you have, smiling saves those moments, and we smiled. After a few days in the Ozark Mountains, Missy and I returned to Oklahoma for the inevitable pain of deployment. We had a few days left, and Honor had relocated to the Browns' farm for training. The day before I set off into the wild blue yonder, we drove to the farm to watch David work him. Jen thinks we should just bring him home. <laughs> I'm sure she does. Well, yeah. His weakness is more than just a performance issue. All it would take is... He could just... She cares about him. That's all. She knows how much we care about him. It's scary. I think she's right. I smiled. Missy squeezed her brow. Then why are we letting... She saw my smile wasn't fading and remained etched on my face. God. This just scares the shit out of me and I love that war so much. I do too. Believe me, I do too. What if he just isn't physically capable? What if he doesn't like it, or it even causes him pain? Then we save the money. I'm not going to force him to do anything, but I will give him the choice. This isn't about what I want for him. I would love to see him grow fat and happy out in the front paddock for the rest of his life, and that's what he wants, then that's what he gets. I've said that before, but what if that is not what he wants? Yes, I would also love to see him rip around the track and win the Belmont by 31 lengths, but that isn't up to me. The moment he tells David he's in pain or he doesn't enjoy it, or David assesses that his injury is too much, honor's done. I'm, I'm okay with that. Look, we'll evaluate it every week or every couple weeks and see where he's at. If he's not at least on schedule, he comes home. Deal? Missy lowered her head and hid the happiness on her face. Kay. She looked out the window at the trees rushing by. I do hope he likes it. I stared out the windshield beyond the horizon of yellow hills. Something tells me that won't be an issue. We pulled into the farm, driving alongside the small training track at the front of the property. We followed the gravel drive back around behind the house, down the hill, and to the barn where we met up with David, who already wore a helmet and black chaps over jeans. He was tall for a jockey. David made up for his height with lanky build, which made him appear even taller. He spoke slow but acted fast. His words were kind and simple, but direct. He moved as he spoke, an efficiency that said there was much to be done and little time to do it. He and Honor both wore green, the farm colors. David walked into the stall, grabbed Honor by the bridle, and Honor dutifully stepped out of the stall. In the cold, crisp air, 
backlit by sunlight outside the barn, a puff of hot breath shot from Honor's nose. It looked like smoke. Honor bounced on excited hooves as David escorted him to the track. He and Missy bantered back and forth about Honor's training, business with other horses, veterinarian stuff, and a bunch of other horse crap. But me? <laughs> I just came for the dragon. Honor had jogged his first working laps while Missy and I were in Missouri, so he already knew where he was going and what he was going to be doing. David legged up on his back like it was just another day at the office. It was strange seeing anyone other than Missy aboard him, but Honor offered no protest. Instead, he appeared suit-and-tie business, and his ears listened to each of David's slightest commands. I stopped for a moment and realized he was trained by a dressage rider. Honor lacked nearly an entire year's worth of professional race training, but Missy gave him something other thoroughbreds didn't have aside from brakes. A teammate's mind. Honor listened and responded. His tail tightened as they approached the track. His neck curled down into a frame and his ears and eyes locked forward. His hooves grew feathery against the ground as Honor pulled David to a trot. He sure as go. David broke from business to pleasantry as he walked onto the red dirt track. Without any further words, David placed his thoughts in line with Honor's, and the two vanished into a world of their own. Time to work. Honor's shuffle quickened, kicking up puffs of dust in front of him. His legs extended as the two trotted away from us, down the front stretch of the small track. Honor glided into a smooth canter, muscles synchronizing and warming. David rose off Honor's back, surfing the glass gate. Honor opened his gate farther, each stride longer than the last. His hooves transitioned from feathers to hammers, pulverizing the powdered surface. Clouds of dust gained mass, tossing chunks of dirt high in the air. Honor shoveled earth beneath him, clawing, kicking, pushing, and pulling. Quicker, louder. Honor's head pulsed forward in rhythm with the cadence of drumming hooves. His ears softened back, flapping against his head. Honor grunted, tugging air through angry nostrils, infusing gallons of blood with explosive oxygen. His coat shimmered under the morning sun as a million tiny mirrored dragon scales. Muscle lines shivered and strained. Honor's fiery claws laid waste to the track. And the rumble. Honor ran with no fences to stop him. Oh my god. 
I stared gaping side-eye at Missy, like I was the pilot of the Enola Gay, as if to say, I didn't think it would do that. He sure seems to like it. Missy's words sounded more split than ever. Her tone wavered like a mother watching her son compete in a cage fight. Her apprehension was obvious, but behind it, she hid pride in the shadows. I could see her giving in to what was undeniable and something she, too, didn't want to deny. I grabbed her hand and held it. God made horses. We made fences. I tried to keep my smile modest, but Missy's return smile let me know it was okay. And we've created a monster. She laughed. <laughs> we didn't create anything. I turned my head away from her and back to the track. I squinted through the sunlight. We just took the fences away. David eased Honor to a relaxed pace, cooling the charger down. He made one slow lap around the miniature track and brought the huffing monster to a casual walk back towards the barn. I'm sure glad you installed brakes on this thing. Feels like I have to constantly tell him to stop running. Standard. He takes the bit like he's been doing it for years. Out of all the horses in that barn, none of them get as high as he does. He sure loves it. Great. Missy rolled her eyes at me. I didn't even pretend. I was glowing. We walked to the backside of the barn and attached honor to the walker, which resembles a county fair amusement ride for small children, only the spinning swings are horses tied to it. The merry-go-round of spider legs spun from a center pivot, walking horses around in a circle to cool them off. Normal horses just walk. But Honor hadn't been normal his entire life. David attached Honor to the walker and returned to us. Yeah, I also don't have any other horses that do that on the walker either. Honor chewed on the lead rope, tugging on it, dropping it, and then kicked rambunctiously. Then he'd run in tiny circles beneath the walker arm, rinse and repeat. Honor pulled the lead and put his stoppers on, playing tug-of-war with the machine like a feisty puppy, bobbing and tugging his head against it. The other horse, attached at the opposite side of this amusement park ride, halted with the walker, like a good, normal horse would. Honor, stop it! Missy cried out, scolding him. Honor's ears perked as he turned his mischievous face towards us. He dropped the lead. The machine began to spin again, and Honor walked along, grabbing the lead and chewing as he walked. A few seconds later, the puppy pony tugged the wheel to a stop again. Horse number two on the opposite side again came to a halt. Honor bobbed his head and grunted. Honor! Again, Mother Hen interjected. And again, Honor dropped the lead and carried on, running in tiny circles as he orbited the center pivot. Stop running! It's called a walker, not a runner. He'll do that for an hour straight, darndest thing. I don't know if he enjoys the track more or the walker. He's supposed to be cooling down, but he's so playful, I don't know if it does him any good. He's a pretty happy guy. That's embarrassing. This is why we can't have nice things. He gets it from his owner. She glared at me. I can't take any of the men in my house out in public. I responded with innocent, wide-eyed coyness. <laughs> I just think he's awesome. You would. Missy snuck a glance out of the corner of her glasses at me, 
her words jested, but her eyes said she'd miss me. Time is cruel to a serviceman. I wanted to hold that glance in stasis forever, to hold that day in stasis forever. But it was just a glance and just a day. Sometimes it's all you have. Honor completed his playful time on the walker and enjoyed our attention as David, Jody, Missy, and I all took part in washing him down. Once cleaned up, Missy walked him into the stall and Jody brought him large flakes of hay. I walked into the stall one last time as Honor tore hay from his feeder. I remembered a horse in a stall and Revelation taps me on the shoulder again. Honor and I had been here before, several times it seemed. The night of the auction, at the hospital, on the bloodied floor of a barn, and now. A horse in a stall is a horse in a state of waiting. This particular horse came with a name, and that was all he came with. Each time, each stall, each chapter had been a metamorphosis. The horse and the man, both waiting, both forever changed upon exiting. Missy's voice faded in conversation with Jody a million miles away as I ran my hand down the length of Honor's neck. I looked him up and down, trying to memorize every line. My hand slid down his shoulder to his scar, and I committed the tactile feeling to memory. Try. With everything you are, try. Twenty-four hours later, I hugged a woman against my uniform. I told her I loved her. I promised her I would come home. I kissed her tears away from her cheeks. And then I departed the surly bonds of earth to dance the war-stricken skies on laughtered silvered wings. Time to work. There's a better use of Audio Slave's Show Me How to Live. I've never heard it. How perfect is that? What's even better is the layers that one song adds to this scene. If you dissect the lyrics on their face, they appear to be about Frankenstein's monster. But in fact, they only use that imagery as a prop to illustrate the creation asking the creator what their purpose is. 
then it gets goosebump worthy when you pair that with the original music video that is an adaptation of the movie Vanishing Point. Put all that together, and not only do you get PhD-level existential philosophy crammed into about two minutes of podcasts, it's incredibly creepy how layered and perfect it is. I went ahead and put all this on the website's episode page so you can see for yourself. The eponymous title of this chapter is perhaps the most renowned poem in the Air Force. It's a beautiful poem. It's beautifully written, beautifully arranged, and invokes beautiful imagery. But that's not necessarily why I went with it. All that, too, is explained on the episodes page. That's tolivewithhonor.com, episodes, and then the high flight page. On that note, this episode does some pretty heavy lifting by laying the groundwork for the last couple chapters. I'd recommend revisiting old episodes, specifically the prologue and chapter one, to get those references. This episode, I want to feature equine empowered therapy in Southern California. EET partners with ranches and rescues around SoCal to provide occupational training for veterans interested in working in the equine industry. This is a twofer in that the training provides the therapeutic connection with the horses, but also recalibrates the veteran into a productive career path and renewed purpose. The program is 100% free to veterans and opens employment opportunities in a slew of equine professions. EET is a legit program, and if you have even an inkling of seeing what the horse world has to offer, I highly recommend stopping by their website and applying at www.equineempoweredtherapy.com. All one word, www.equineempoweredtherapy.com. Let them know you heard about them from here and give it a look. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. <laughs>